as we did the last stretch, we finally saw the road leading up to Mufti al-Nabawi. And at that moment, all the fear, all the pain, all the stress, all the worry, all the ups and downs, all that tension, all those months of constant headaches and worries, all vanishing. As soon as you saw the minnows of the Mufti al-Nabawi, that's when we realized that this was epic. Life is like a bicycle. To stay balanced, you must keep moving. Assalamu alaikum and welcome to another episode of the One Foot in the Sink podcast. My name is Anis and Foz is here. Hello everybody. And we are joined by one of the cycling pilgrims, Saifullah Nasir. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Assalamu alaikum. Hello my friends. Muslims. Muslims. Muslim Lifestyle Podcast. What do you think the podcast is about? I think it's about Muslim because you put your foot in the sink when you do a do. It's about a story called the Ghostbusters. So Foz, do you know how to ride a bike? I do. I just taught my son how to ride a bike after months of trying. How about you, Nice? Are you balanced in your on your bicycle? It is hard for me to keep balance, but I do try. I keep moving to stay balanced. How about yourself, Saifullah? You, you must be the master of balancing <laughs> after what you've been through. I, I don't know really how to put it, but I would say that um, if, you, I mean, if you were to see me right now, you would not think I am a cyclist, let alone an amateur professional cyclist who's done the trip that we have actually done. So I'm actually a, I'm a miracle in living form in a polite way and not, without, without, without <laughs> kind of sound boastful. No, um, I've, I've been cycling as a young kid. You think we'll start out. It's one of those popular things to do as a child from the age of five or six. Uh, but I never thought to myself that I would actually be covering stupidly long distances like the ones that we were going to be doing in the hud ride. Um, so yeah, it was it, it, the whole thing was even now it, it really hits me that I actually did it. Yeah, so we definitely want to get into that. But before we get into that, we have an opening question. So you guys ready for the opening question? Yeah, let's do this. Okay. Okay. So the question is, what one super modification would you put on your bike? So as usual, we'll start with Foz. Yeah, well, I could have guessed. Well done. Yeah. So <laughs> it's just, and he's always does that. So he has a chance to think about his answer because he's never prepared. So <laughs> I'll go first. <laughs> um, so I was stuck between two. I'm going to go. Cool. I would have super modified tires which can't get punctured and they have spikes on them. So if you're getting annoyed with someone, you know, they're hanging, the spikes are on the side. So, you know, if you're, someone's coming too close or you've got a bit of road rage, you can easily, no one's going to come near you because you've got these big spikes on the side. So they'd be super duper tires. They don't get punctured. Yeah, but you're going to be a nuisance to everyone else. No, everyone stays away from me. It's my lane. Keep out my lane. <laughs> sounds Sounds like a menace. Yeah, always is my answers, I guess. There's a theme going on. How about you, Saifullah? What would your what would be your super modification? From experience, I would say um, if I could perhaps uh, stick a turbo jet or a turbo fan engine to the back of my bike, oh. that would be that would be blissful because I can honestly say, yeah, on a straight road you can cycle pretty much on your own energy. When you're going up a hill. Boy, oh boy, do your legs feel like they are burning. <laughs> and I felt it because we went through the Swiss Alps and our journey. So I think if I could put a jet engine on the back of my... And shall I be honest, people actually have invented it. I've actually seen people good, a few years ago actually have done it. So it's not commercially available, but I know it can be done. So if I knew who they were, I would definitely would have gotten to put, get me a few things up. Uh, it, wouldn't, it, would take, it would have taken the whole spirit of the journey away. 
But hey ho, I would have my legs would wouldn't be killing you right now if they want to. I just have an image of a bike on a jet engine, and do you know that movie ET when there's a scene of him going, you know, just taking off. I just, I just have this image of you taking off, and he's the moon in the background. Yeah. I think you need a very powerful turbofan engine to get my bike flying because I'm not exactly the lightest cyclist out there. I'm actually the heaviest, and in my own admission, I'm the heaviest of all the hud riders by a good, good margin. So yeah. <laughs> it just goes to show how how super fit the others are. Huh? Yeah, well, mashallah, some of the mashallah the brothers they they really I, th- I think the fact that I was cycling with them pushed me to really to my limits because I felt to myself I don't want to hang behind. So when, yeah, they were of course lighter and more healthy and fit and everything, but I think that kind of pushed me to think, well, surely I can do the same. There were moments when I used to get slowed down because of my, you know, obviously I'm, I am a bit heavier, so I couldn't pedal as fast. Uh, but every now and then I would joke with the brothers and say, look, I'm like any one of you plus a 20 kilo sack of potatoes. So, you know, give me a break. If you had a 20 kilo sack of potatoes, I don't think you'd be breaking any records either. <laughs> I bet you did have some jetpack so you could keep up with them. You secretly talk about it. It's already there. I bet you well, had it. And you turned it on. Really I, oh, well, I, my jetpack is more internal than anything. I think uh, we just took a few. We took, we took some. We took some. We don't, Allah forbid you took anything like, you know, performance enhancing. Allah forbid. But, not, not that we were being, of course, screened for a tour de France or anything like that. But no, we, we took, um, we had like caffeine, lots of caffeine tablets, that sort of thing, uh, hydration tablets, anything to really give you a boost. And I think caffeine, uh, it, it, obviously, yeah, it burns you out at the end, but it does help because you just don't feel tired, even if you do feel tired, you know what I mean? So you, you kept us going. Because if you're doing 70 miles a day, after 50 miles already, your body's caving in and you've got 20 miles left to go. So you need an extra boost. <laughs> well, my answer is that, one of the things I don't like about cycling is the how uncomfortable the seats are. <laughs> so what I would my super modification would be replacing the seat with one of those lazy boy chairs. You know those lazy boy chairs, the recliners. <laughs> yeah. So I'll sit on top of that and I'll modify my bike so that the so I'll be lying back on my lazy boy and just cruising it along. Maybe maybe have a cup holder in there. <laughs> it reminds well. you it reminds you of those. Um, you know, have you heard of the recumbent cycles? It's, 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 yeah, yeah, it's pretty, yeah, the one that yeah, laid back, back ones. On. Yeah. I, I actually think to myself, if you can actually yeah. get those for next HUD ride, I think we would, I think it would be literally <laughs> a very laid back journey. If I saw he's doing that on my bike, I'd just run up next to him, scar up his tires and zoom. He <laughs> <laughs> could fall off his lazy boy. <laughs> At least it would be a soft landing. <laughs> so, shall we move on to the main part of the show? I'll introduce our guest. On July 14, 2017, eight cyclists and two support drivers set out from London for the journey of their lifetime to perform Hajj. But it was no normal journey. They cycled 3,500 kilometers to Medina, Saudi Arabia. On that journey, they raised over 250,000 pounds to buy medical aid in Syria with the Human Aid UK charity. We followed them when they set off to, uh, on the Hud ride and we were super keen to get you guys on as soon as we heard about the journey. The money raised and the journey you went on was a huge inspiration to us. And so we had to get you on and we really want to kind of find out more about it. So before we kind of go into the main story about the Hudge ride, um, Saifullah, tell us about yourself. Um, don't know what little interest there actually will be in myself, but uh, if it helps, my background is that I'm, I'm, I'm a born and bred British Muslim. I was born um, mid-80s. Um, to um, uh, mum and dad who you know, originally hailed from Pakistan. Grew up was as most young children do really. I mean, you, you used to go to the local evening mosques and learn about Islam. My interest kind of you know, was there from a very young age, you know, to, to learn as much as I could. And when I was uh, around about 11 years old, 
I was I, I once went to a, um, a like an end of year Islamic madrasa conference uh, at a boarding school, and I saw all the children there competing against each other in a competition to see how well they knew their Quran, and we heard them reading. And I thought to myself, you know what, you know that's something that I wish I could always do. And uh, from then on, I was inspired to to also become a hafiz of the Quran. And uh, alhamdulillah, I actually enrolled at the very same institute in uh, in Leicester. Darulum Leicester is the actual name of the place, to be exact. And alhamdulillah, three years later. Uh, alhamdulillah, I graduated as a hafiz of the Quran, and then subsequently I went. Alhamdulillah, alhamdulillah. I, 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 I can honestly say, if I wake up any morning and I feel the world is caving in on me, one thought can give me an uplift, and that is to remember that Allah Taala allowed me, despite my weakness, to memorize this whole book. So that itself is an amazing feeling. And again, mashallah, all the brothers and sisters out there who have been also uh, able to do the same there when they know exactly how it feels. So alhamdulillah, I, I then um, carried and continued. Went to school, local school here. But then I felt to myself there was something lacking, uh, and I wanted to learn more about my deen. And I felt that yes, you, know, you could go to any other career, and uh, family was always asking to go into medicine or anything else more lucrative, should I say? Uh, and I thought to myself, well, that's not really that's not really me. And I, I know they mean well for me, but I felt to myself maybe it's best I do something that can help the deen. I then carried on, went back to another madrasa, and I then studied uh, a full six-year course in Islamic studies there, and then subsequently I did a master's degree. Uh, here at the UK, in one of the UK universities, uh, Loughborough University here. Alhamdulillah. So then, since then, I've been working as an imam uh, in various capacities. I mean, an imam can not only lead prayers, but can do various other things for the community. So I've worked, I, I am, currently am the university imam for my local town, Northampton University, and also one of the local hospitals here. I'm also the Muslim visiting chaplain, so I visit the patients there. It's in a mental health care sort of um, a secure unit. Uh, and alhamdulillah, and then I also, uh, in my spare time or whenever I get a moment in the day, uh, if schools, local schools want to visit their mosque or they want us to come and talk to them about Islam at their school assemblies, I facilitate that as well. So that's pretty much my schedule and my daily grind. And alhamdulillah, keep it busy. Alhamdulillah, keep it busy. When you started, you're like, oh, well, there's not much I do, <laughs> but that's alhamdulillah, mashallah. It's amazing. It's loads. No, no, no. Alhamdulillah, Allah ta'ala gave the ability, but I can honestly say they are. Uh, brothers and sisters out there doing much more than I am doing and a lot of them for the sacrifice and for the inspiration in giving me the ideas to do what needs to be done. Alhamdulillah, that's pretty much me in a nutshell. Well, so tell us about the Hadride team. Tell us about like what's the makeup of the team and how you guys came about meeting. Well, I could say I'm a bit of the lone sheep in the whole group in a way because um, I actually didn't know any of the brothers in person. I didn't know any of them. I only had met one brother before and I didn't even really meet him. I actually saw him in a distance. Uh, at another cycling event. Uh, and, and the story actually itself goes back to uh, my cycling experience. And I'm only saying this so that the brothers and sisters who are listening can understand how miraculous the nature the, the story is itself with the Hudrad is that I wasn't actually cycling until last year, uh, anything long distance. What happened is that an imam friend of mine who lives in the city of Birmingham, uh, he once told me that he was cycling from Birmingham into my town of Northampton. And I thought, that's fun. I thought, that's 50 miles away. I thought 50 miles away is just said, who cycles that far out? That's miles away. And he was going to carry, exactly, 50 miles is like a journey in a car, you know. And I said to him, you know, I've heard of the Muslim biker group. And he goes, no, 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 we're not motorbikers, we are cyclists, we use our own legs. And I was like, even more impressed. <laughs> uh, and so, yeah, so then he said to me that we needed more imams to join. It's good for you know, physical inactivity, you get out, you meet people. Uh, it's a good social thing. And he said to me, look, we're doing a charity run from Birmingham to Oxford, which is a 70-mile cycle run. And then another group from London will do the same, uh, to get, reach the same destination, and then it will be 70 miles from where they are. So we'll meet at an equidistant point 
of Oxford in a halal farm there, and we'll have a barbecue there. We're going to have like a little um, charity uh, fundraiser for uh, a, a water plant in uh, Gaza, in Palestine. And again, you know, we all know how difficult things are there for our brothers and sisters. So I obliged, and alhamdulillah, although it was tough, alhamdulillah, I completed the cycle ride and I got to the end. And as we were there at the end, uh, after 70 miles, you know, and, and we, we were celebrating, uh, a brother popped up and said, oh, uh, we've got another special charity ride coming up this summer, London to Paris. And I thought, wow, that's 200 miles. I thought to myself, I barely managed the 70 mile and I'll give it a miss this year. Just thinking to myself, it was totally impossible. This is where it gets really surprising. This brother who actually made the announcement was the actual brother who devised and thought of the hydride in the first place. So what was his name? Brother, his name is Abdul Wahid. His name is, that's his name. He's a Reba brother, mashallah, um, and a very enthusiastic brother. Uh, it's a pity he can't be uh, in the actual conversation today. He's a very busy person. Otherwise, he'd give you his own unique perspective on the whole situation. So many years ago, when he first reverted, he had this idea, but then he only came to fruition recently, where several of his friends in his local cycling group said, well, we can do it. And some local charities and the local hedge tour operator, they all said, we'll, we'll do our bit to make sure this, this works, because it's not a cheap thing. People might think, oh, you're cycling to hedge, you know, you're saving yourself a huge packet. It's the total opposite. <laughs> it really is. He actually, he actually costs us kind of more. But anyhow, that, that's not a major issue. As he devised the package and everything, uh, he then sent out on the Muslim Cycling Forum, National Forum's uh, social media group, he sent out uh, an image of, of like a, a, a poster inviting people to join the first ever cycle ride. Uh, so alhamdulillah, they were very inclusive. And again, I didn't know any other brothers, him or anybody else. But very nice of them that they said, okay, whoever's ready to join, we're, we're open to other people coming. And I saw the advert and I was really intrigued. I actually thought to myself, this is too good to be true. You know, because it, it never happened before. I, and, and the message I've ever heard of is that somebody from China and Russia in previous years had done the same journey, but from their respective countries. Yeah. And you can see, obviously, I thought to myself, well, you know, the UK is pretty far. It is, you know, 3,000 plus kilometers. But then again, it did make you feel like, this is such an op- amazing opportunity. It's the first time it's happening. Who knows I will ever get this opportunity again. I'm, I'm still young, alhamdulillah. Uh, so I, en- I went for it. I entered it. And alhamdulillah, and I'm not saying this to boast, but I think this is where, alhamdulillah, my application got heavier support. And that is that I actually um, prayed to the of Salah, of Salat al-Istikhara, the Salah that we Muslims would use when we were about to make a big decision. And I said to Allah, that, oh Allah, if this is good for me, please make it happen. You know, and if it's not good for me, then oh, well, I'll choose something better for me. And then away I did, clicked my finger, and that's it. I sent the application off online on Google Forms. Yeah. And, three, and three weeks later, I remember driving to work and uh, getting a call from Brother Abdul Wahid saying that, um, you know, we've seen application. And his words were that your application looks quite promising, <laughs> which is funny because there's me telling him I've only cycled for, you know, just a few months and I haven't even done much. And obviously, this went on the whole cycling forum. And mashallah, brothers who are on the cycling forum, they they regularly do some crazy challenges, long distances. You know, the London Ride 100. Um, you know, some brothers this year did a 225 cycle mile cycle ride from Yorkshire all the way down to London. So you know, people who are really pretty much already up for it, I thought to myself there wasn't a chance I would get in. But the brother said to me, "We'll give you a chance, and then we'll see what happens." So for the first time ever, I joined him and some other brothers who were also hopefuls in the herd ride together down in Windsor near London. We went for a 50-mile cycle ride. I never trained for it. It was winter. So, you know, again, I, I was more swimming than cycling. 
And but alhamdulillah, I got to the end of the cycle right in one piece. So I was just curious, what, what was the criteria on the application? Oh, well, this is interesting that they wanted to see who had decent experience with cycling. And also they wanted people from various backgrounds, like different backgrounds in the community. So obviously they wanted somebody who was involved with charity work, people who had good connections. Uh, and, and me as an imam, alhamdulillah, I'm not, a very, I'm not a famous person. I don't really want to be famous, to be honest. But alhamdulillah, I do know people from up and down the country here and there in my time. I still keep connections with them. So that was a plus for me that they wanted people who could reach out to the community and get the word out about the fundraising project. Because a cycle ride, the idea was to raise funds. And of course, the idea was we suffer so that other people don't have to. That was kind of the motto of the actual cycle ride. Alhamdulillah. And so just tell us, you mentioned about um, the charity and the vision was kind of, um, kind of you guys suffer so other, other people don't have to. Um, so tell us a bit about the vision of Hudride and, you know, the charity you worked with. Well, the Hudride, I think if you could put it together in a nutshell, I would think there were three main objectives. The first objective was to conclusively prove that, yes, the Hajj can be achieved in this form of traveling. It's a practically possible form. It adds to the diversity of people in the past who used to walk, uh, who used to travel long distances. So it's kind of bringing a bit of that old school feeling back to the Hajj, that, you know, taking your time going there, going through a bit of difficulty, not to, not to break yourself, but rather make yourself, make yourself a tougher Haji and a better Haji for what you've been through. Um, that was one of the main objectives. So to prove the Hajj can be achieved in this unique way and to bring that old school feeling of Hajj back. And the second one was, yes, to raise funds initially, initially for the Syrian Ambulance Emergency Appeal. And just to put it very briefly, the idea was that in Syria, all hospitals, you know, many hospitals have been attacked and, uh, you know, you can't keep building hospitals once a hospital gets attacked and destroyed. So people are dying, you know, and they're still continuing to die of small injuries because you can't get to medical help in time. And uh, so the idea was that if we were to commission, to recommission ambulances that have been decommissioned in the UK, so good quality ambulances, but they're no longer good enough for British uh, law legislative use in the uh, NHS. So the idea was that we would buy them, revamp them, and then send them over, if possible, to Syria where people could use them. And alhamdulillah, the scheme worked out really well. We managed to send so far along with other charities, so we won't take all credit for ourselves, other charities did help us on this, we managed to send 85 ambulances wow. in one go, at least. And mashallah. this is the longest, mashallah, the, the longest ambulance convoy in British history to leave the British shores. And yeah, you know, each ambulance costs around about £8,000, but £8,000 isn't a lot when you consider how many lives you save every single month. Yeah. At least 40 to 50 lives. The, the ambulances are literally pretty much the, 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 the first and the last call. They are the mobile hospitals and they can get to places hospitals can't do. So yeah, you're looking at a huge savior to, to human life here. So the cause itself is worthy in an Islamic form, in the general humanitarian form. And that's why, mashallah, a lot of non-Muslims themselves have actually gone out there and actually donated. Meanwhile, while we were actually on the Hajj ride, of course, the Rohingya situation uh, of the Muslims in Rohingya who were ex expelled from Myanmar and even worse, Allah, Allah saves them. I mean, you know, that, that, that's, that started up while we were in the Hajj ride. So we felt to ourselves that we could do this in a dual, dual project form that anybody wanted to donate to either charity, donate by, by at least see both causes and realize that help is needed. Yes. So yeah, the Hajj, the Hajj ride allowed us to project that image by using our cause, which again, obviously raised, you know, sort of people's ears to wonder what, you know, what we were doing. And I think then we were able to use that to get the word out about the products. And mashallah, that's why we managed to raise a good amount. The, the third uh, thing that we were doing the Hajj ride for, uh, which is pretty much the first two put together, and that was to give the Muslims of the world hope and, and positivity. 
that, you know, to, for everybody to sort of get behind us and root for us. It would help in really, mashallah, for brothers and sisters to be united again and to have that support and also give a positive feeling that, you know, mashallah, such things are being achievable. And uh, I think, alhamdulillah, I've seen uh, Allah's alone to be thanked that we've actually managed to inspire many people along the way and give them hope and positivity. And I could say, honestly, what we actually got to the final destination, the uh, support had snowballed. We were getting messages from all countries around the world. So alhamdulillah, I think that that purpose was, mashallah, very uh, amazingly achieved. To get brothers and sisters to feel, yes, the ummah can rise and speak again and do amazing things. Well, one of the things I want to pick up on is your point number one, to prove that it can be done and somehow, you know, linking it back to the old school feeling of going going for hajj. And, and, and that's quite important because... Um, hajj is a spiritual journey and, mm-hmm. and nowadays when we do hajj we usually fly into Mecca and Medina in the old days when our ancestors went by boat when they walked it yeah. you know, through the desert and that feeling is kind of gone away so what you guys are trying to revive here is that spiritual journey and I just want to ask you a question really you know at some point did you get that spiritual up- upliftment when you were on your journey in the beginning the the the, the main target uh, sort of uh, destination is so far off that for us in the beginning it was mainly just surviving every single day take each day as it comes see how we manage and yes every now and then we would give ourselves pep talks about is you know remembering that just because you can't see something doesn't mean it isn't there and and then two or three legs of the journey the middle leg of the journey uh, up until we got to Saudi Arabia that part of the journey was the most critical because yes we knew we were close we were closing in but then by that time things had become quite difficult for us which is a, itself another story um, that's when the spirituality started to really pull itself together because without that spirituality you mentally you do break down because you're far away from home you're in the unfamiliar territory it's a route that you never done before uh, the, you don't have no idea what to expect you have no idea you're going to get there you have to really really keep positive yeah. and I think uh, it really drew our deepest deepest reserves of Iman and our general personal um, sort of uh, emotions to keep ourselves going uh, there were there were times when people would get a bit sort of you know edgy or angry or frustrated or you could see them taking their sort of um, emotions out here and there um, and, I, and I think that it was a testing moment looking back on it Alhamdulillah that we went through all that because it made a memorable journey. Yeah. But in the journey itself, uh, I, w- I would honestly say that it was a big test. But yeah, there were the, we needed spirituality. That We talked a lot about the spiritual element. It wasn't just like, oh, let's just get off on our bikes. I think if it wasn't a bike journey, journey towards the Hajj, I think I wouldn't have lasted as long as I did. I think that's what kept me going. That was the end goal. And um, before we want to kind of cover some of your kind of the journey and the stories in it. So, but before we go into that kind of um, the detail around that, just tell us about the kind of the start of it, like the planning stages and getting prepared for it. What kind of stuff did you have to do to get ready to do this? <laughs> Question is, what didn't we do to get ready? <laughs> we, we we first first things first. We we had to firstly bond together as a group. So we had to do several group rides, um, and the group rides were around seventy to eighty miles. So we'd sort of say, right, this Saturday everybody has to join us in one place in the country. We're all going to cycle through this area and you know get through it willy nilly. Get you know just, you know get used to it. And obviously the areas were going to be hilly, scenic but very hilly because the idea was that anybody can cycle you know down a straight path but when you actually go up hills and for long distances um that's when you really get tested so really is putting ourselves through our paces giving ourselves the right stamina and agility to keep going through those steep mountain areas so we did uh, several training sessions in and around the country on a one-day basis and then we did a four-day um wales welsh countryside uh, cycle ride which i must admit many of the brothers themselves will agree was really really hard in some ways the steepness of those hills 
I actually saw one of their brothers wow. reduced to tears. That's how <laughs> steep it was. A grown man reduced Wills, to tears. This is a very hilly terrain. It is very hilly. That's before you get to the mountains. Just the normal yeah. hills were really putting us in our faces. Then some of us also did another, some of us, not all of us, but some of us also did a training ride in Morocco, where as part of a charity trek, we did one day in the trekking through the Atlas Mountains and then two days on mountain bikes through the uphill uh, uh, steep inclines of the Atlas Mountains in the heat of Morocco as well. And that was a good precursor to what we were going to face because we were cycling through Europe in the European heat wave and they're going to cycle through Egypt and Saudi Arabia. So yeah, heat was what it was all about. What about planning the route? What was the route and how did you decide on the route? Well, we, they decided to try and make the route to as many countries as possible so you could get a good stretch of sort of terrain. At the same time, of course, keeping the route as straight as possible so that we didn't end up exhausting ourselves too much. Because, yes, you can see the lovely sights and go to certain countries, but at the end of the day, it's about surviving. And I think if, if we made the route too long, it would have been difficult and it's dragging on. So we tried to make it as straight from point to A as B as possible. There were uh, four crossings over the sea. Uh, and two of those crossings, we involved using ferries. The other two crossings, we were trying to use ferries, but one of them was closed due to the migrant issue. And the other one, we didn't end up using in the end because we had passports that were originally meant for land visas. So we were supposed to go from Egypt via ferry to Saudi Arabia. Due to uh, awkward, I don't know who on earth was responsible for this, an awkward situation within the uh, visa office, uh, issuing office for the Hajj visas, our passports, after a long time, came to us with a stamp saying, they can only be used for air travel. So we had to then we cycle all the way to the edge of the red, uh, of, of the uh, stretch that we were cycling. Then we had to take a bus back to Cairo. Then from Cairo we had to take a flight over to Saudi Arabia. So in the end we ended up using two planes. But then th this is we were doing it over overseas anyway. So we weren't cheating or cutting corners. We were legitimately and legitimately you, can't help you know some of those situations either. Exactly, and I think that's the unique thing about this journey. That yes, it is a hard ride in terms of cycling, but actually. We used, and I kid you not, this is when it gets really bonkers surprising. We used, of course, uh, a bus. We used a van. Uh, we used a train, uh, a monorail, to be exact. Uh, we, of course, used a plane. Uh, we went uh, on um, camels. We rode animals. We went on camels as well. Uh, we also went on speedboats. And some of us even, uh, even on a long, longer story itself, we actually went parasailing. <laughs> so we literally used so many forms of, uh, of, of traveling. And I think putting that all in together, it actually makes it quite a memorable journey that we kind of took yeah, sounds, a bit of everything. It sounds like an epic journey. Yeah, it definitely is. Yeah, subhanAllah. And the interesting thing is, just a little side note for brothers and sisters who are listening. Um, my Ustad was explaining a verse in the Quran where, where Ibrahim salam gives the adhan for Hajj. And Allah Ta'ala says to Ibrahim salam, this is the adhan, give the adhan for Hajj, like we give the adhan for Salah. And Allah Ta'ala says, they will come to you on every form of thin conveyance, like a, obviously like an animal which has been worn through from many months of traveling. And my teacher explained that the word zamir in Arabic uh, refers to an object which is thin at the front and thin at the back and wide in the middle. Oh. This, subhanAllah, yeah, this, this refers to boats. It can refer to modern-day planes. And if you think about it, it can refer to a bike because our wheels yeah. are very, very thin at the front and at the back. And obviously there's us in the middle giving it good width. <laughs> so, yeah, so, you know. That's very insightful. And subhanAllah, the funny thing is, when I got my bike, my bike, um, the name of my bike, which is a very unknown company, was called Eastway. I, and I got this bike specifically in the hope that I would use it for the HUD ride. And I took a good cue from it that the word Eastway means heading east. So I wow. thought that was a good omen. <laughs> Alhamdulillah, we got east. So, yeah. Uh, and, and, also, and also, the front of my bike was actually very thin. The actual handlebars are normally wide and round. Mine were very thin and sleek and aero style. Again, I took that as a sign. The front of my object that I was riding on would be thin. 
So subhanAllah, it's really, it's just a little side note, just really interesting how we got on everything we could think of. What verse of the Quran was that? This is Surah Al-Hajj. Uh, I can't remember the verse number uh, off the top of my head right now. The, the verse is from sort of around about sort of almost sort of like a third of the way through the actual chapter of Hajj in the 17th juz of the Quran. Okay, we'll look it up and uh, we'll definitely share it with the listeners. I think it's a good kind of point to start getting into the journey. So talk us through kind of the journey from when you started and kind of challenges you faced and how it went along the way. Here's, here's where I take a deep breath. Um, the, the, journey, the journey lasted in total um, 36 days. Of those 36 days, I would say approximately around 25 to 28 days were spent cycling with a few breaks in between. And then we had a few issues where we were sort of held back due to visa issues in Egypt for a longer time. So I think put it together, if we sort of crunch it up, it would be 28 days of cycling. And every single day, the idea was to put 70 miles of cycling. And earlier, coming on to a brother, um, uh, brother uh, Anissa's question about how we plan the route, there's an application that you can use, which is a very widely used one by athletes worldwide called Strava. Right. Strava has an online mapping route where you can actually map your uh, and make your own routes for your journeys, and then pop them onto your pop them onto your sat navs or uh, whatever you have, and then then you can use your way to get around from one place to the other, track your distances, times, and all sorts. So we had somebody making the route every single day, and each day was already pre-planned, and we had it uploaded into our computer and our sat navs, small little sat navs we had attached to our bikes in case we got lost and needed to get the route back. We left London. On the 14th of July, but we weren't alone. So there was the uh, eight hundred riders, the two support drivers, and then there were twenty-five brothers who would join us for the London to Paris. Oh, okay. The same, the same cycle right, that I, 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 I uh, backed out of last year for the greater good, only to be put into the thick of it this year because last year was a two hundred mile main event. Subhanallah, this year the two hundred mile event is actually a warm up <laughs> to an even bigger ride. So it's really ironic how that worked out. Nevertheless, we travelled over down to the <laughs> down to the. Uh, Brighton coast uh, and then the next day we cycled, uh, cycled onto a ferry and then the ferry got us over to France, jumped off and then cycled through France for another two days until we finally hit Paris. When we got to Paris, as we usually do, we pictures taken in front of the Eiffel Tower to prove people we were here. Uh, and then after that, we, we uh, you know, everybody had a big, nice, lovely celebratory meal. And the next day, one by one, everybody else started making their way back to the UK. And that's when us nine, uh, ten brothers now, we were kind of feeling the, the emptiness now that we were on our own. And, I, and I've used this example before, I'll use it again. You see the space shuttle and you see the rockets that are actually attached to the side, the booster rockets. It felt to us that the booster rockets were gone and we were now operating on our own engines. That's exactly how it felt. So then, yeah, that's... Yeah, I, that's the only way I can explain it because he was like, "Oh yeah. my God, Oh my Allah, we are all on our own now," and it doesn't have that same vibe to it. But we get, we carried on, and you know, we carried on for the next few days through France, stopping uh, camping sites wherever we could. Uh, and Alhamdulillah, we had a big bonus because in the last night we were in France, we managed to find a mosque, and the mosque was very, very accommodating. Let us stay there, gave us lovely mashallah food, you know, uh, sort of, you know, chicken, chicken wraps and sharma and everything you needed basically after a seventy-mile cycle ride. And the next day we went into Switzerland uh, and we performed Friday Juma our prayer, the 21st of July. We Half of us prayed in Switzerland, half of us prayed in Germany because Germany wow. and Switzerland and the borders are very close. So it was really weird. We like split up in different countries. It's so bizarre. And then we went and joined everybody together in, in Germany in the Rheinfelden Mosque where, mashallah, the brothers were fighting among themselves to look after us. Mashallah, Turkish, Pakistani, Arabs, mashallah, the very mixed community there. And subhanallah, the mosque never ever allowed anybody to stay, even for Itikaf and Ramadan. So imagine that on that day, they said, you can stay. It's a big privilege, yeah. And that really kind of told us that 
those doors which have never been opened were opened up for us. And mashallah, we really were, you know, we were sad to see bye to them. But obviously as travelers, which is another lesson of the journey, you keep going through different places in life. And that's the same thing of our journey. No matter how wonderful the people were, no matter how beautiful the scenery, you had to keep moving. So, so we continued through Switzerland, back from Germany into Switzerland. And then this is when we went to the main section of the whole journey, which everybody remembers, Swiss Alps. Beautiful. Beautiful. Oh my Allah. I can honestly, if I, I can't show you the pictures right now in front of me, but if I was show you whether the pictures, you'd be astonished. It's just wonderful, amazing glaciers, glaciers where you've got a lake which is green and the lake is blue because they've got different waters going into them and stunning huge peaks. And if you go down the roads, down this hairpins, like, you know, like, you know, like you do like some kind of like racing driving game. Yeah. And it's just amazing. You know, again, we weren't just looking at it through a glass window from a car or a coach. We were experiencing it, breathing it. But there was one day where I think we really felt it because of the altitude. The altitude on one day was 3,000 meters by the time we got to the top of the mountain. So already oxygen was low. Uh, it was cold. It was wet. And uh, some of the brothers were still cycling in the dark. So they were dangerous. The moments of that were dangerous. It got a bit dangerous. We had to go out in the van and pick them up and tell them to get in the van and then head back to the hotel. Because there's some days when the weather got bad. That was your rule, right? You were only cycling during the day and not during the night. We Yes, we would only cycle at night time if we thought it was safe. Otherwise, you'd have to get in the van and then get to our next place. We stayed, we stayed in a hotel at this point as well because again, there was nowhere we could stay otherwise. The next day, we carried on and we went into Liechtenstein. Liechtenstein is a little country. 37,000 people, not even the size of your average town, but again, a very high sort of like you know, one of those countries are tax havens, whatever. The irony is, Liechtenstein is a very, very rich country in its own right. Uh, and yes, subhanAllah, we found ourselves not being able to live anywhere that night because the mosque that we were originally going to stay in would actually close and the main brother who had the key could not be found. Mm. So then we had nowhere to stay because we couldn't stay out in the open. We were in the Alps, so it was very cold. Subhanallah, this is the irony. This is how Allah Ta'ala teaches us a lesson in life as well. The only person who was actually willing to give us a place to stay for the night was a Syrian refugee brother. Wow. In his apartment. MashaAllah, that's amazing. We come in this little room in his apartment, uh, you know, all of us, and then he just got a few tins of cheese and bread and tuna and tomatoes out and said, look, this is all I can offer you. But you know what? MashaAllah, we enjoyed a really good meal that night. No complaints. I'm so like... Like, I'm tired. I don't know what to say, but the way just the riding through these countries, the story about how you're bringing communities together and how people like just come together to support the cause, bringing the ummah together, it's, it's just so inspiring. Alhamdulillah. It, uh, I, I must admit, I, I didn't think uh, it, it should be this inspirational or this eye opening for brothers and sisters, but even me, when I actually tell the stories, I, I relive the whole, all the moments the drama, the fear, the apprehension, the weather, the tiredness, it all comes back, and I can literally just keep playing it over and over again, not because it's a tragic moment or anything, but rather, if anything, it's an achievement. So the, the, these moments, the actual journey where we were stuck in these difficult scenarios, taught me a lesson about actually, you know, we're doing this for the people of Syria, we're doing this for them, and yet this is what they actually are going through. And then the brother said to us, get out, get out, you have to be, you have to leave at five o'clock in the morning because my boss is going to be here, get out of there by then and wish you on your journey. We went to, a, we went to an immigration center afterwards to sleep there because there was a one room spare. We got kicked out of there as well. And then, as, <laughs> and, and if you thought that was, wasn't uh, bad enough, as we were about to leave, the Lishan Sands police surrounded us with three or four cars. I wanted to know who we were. So we had to go through all the security checks with them, our passports and everything before they let us go as well. So yeah, we, we felt homelessness. We felt the status of being a refugee, a fugitive under suspicion we, we all felt it all in this journey you think you name it we went through it bar alhamdulillah any severe injury or death we went through everything else you could think of and, and i'm glad that we went through all that alhamdulillah 
So carrying on from there, we went and went to Switzerland. We went into Italy, where the roads started going sort of more calmer and more flat and more beautiful scenery, beautiful lake areas. And Alhamdulillah, then in the end, we then went further on to um, to Greece, um, where we took a ferry. Uh, for, so that was the first day we got to rest. We've been cycling for 14 days nonstop. Right. By the time we got to Venice, which itself was a crazy ride, because in Venice we did 125 miles in one day. One day. In one day. And some of the brothers pointed out to me the other day when he had a good catch-up the other day. They said to me, actually, some of them did 136 miles. That's huge. So, subhanAllah, yeah. Uh, so we, mashallah, amazing miles, and uh, I, I didn't do I didn't do the whole 125. I did about 90 to 100. I'm not sure how long mine was because I was feeling ill. So when you're feeling ill, you can actually have the van to pick you up and drop you off later on to give you a half an hour, an hour to rest and get your energy back. So it's not about it's not about wearing yourself out. It's about living to rise another day. Yeah. Um, we then went into Greece. Mashallah, Greece is amazing, beautiful country. People are very nice and easy going there. I know. People talk about the big, you know, economy issue there, but people there were genuinely nice. Uh, we stopped at a camping site, and the lady who ran the camping site, an elderly lady, looked after us like a mum. She was looking after us, giving us food, giving us free stuff here, free stuff there, even though it's a camping site and to sell stuff. And at the end, Subhanallah, it emerged she's actually a Muslim lady wow. because she came up to us and said to me, "I was about to leave." She gave me a bit of money and said, "You're going for the Hajj. I'm so happy you're going for the Hajj." In broken English because she couldn't she couldn't speak anything apart from Greek and a few other languages. So she said to me, "Take this money and give it to the poor people in Makkah. Please pay for my husband who's got cancer." So mashallah. And then obviously in 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 Greece, you know, the the the, the climate is really good. So you got fresh fruits growing off the trees. Some of the brothers in the middle of nowhere they found. Fresh figs, you know the you know the ones that are literally fat, plump, and purple as anything, and ready to go. There were lots of them. Literally, they came up with handfuls of them for free because you can take them off the side of the road. Grapes, the same. Uh, mountain rivers and valleys, you go past, and you can live in another. You find a wonderful stream with fresh water coming straight from the top of a mountain valley area. And mashallah, everything we needed, we had, even though it was so hot. And by the time we got to Athens in Greece, it was 38 degrees because of the temperature. Yeah, uh, the the the, the um, heat heat wave uh, hitting Europe. Then from Greece, we had to take a flight from Athens to Egypt. Um, however, there was a bit of a drama here. One of the our airplane could not carry all of the play, uh, bikes, so somebody had to from our group, and it happened to be Brother Abdul Wahid who volunteered to go. He had to then take the bikes by a separate flight to Cairo, and then we would have the bikes sent to us from Cairo, and we would be in Alexandria in Egypt. It was, it was a bit of a confusing situation. Tried to get the, we tried to get around it, but unfortunately, once we got there, two brothers who had already, you know, been to Egypt before for charity or work for holiday purposes, because they are now back in Egypt again, and we couldn't prove exactly what was the speciality behind our trip, because they, they, they looked that with caution as well. Two brothers got sent back. Oh, in fact, they got detained for a day, sadly, and then they got sent back to Athens. They got deported to Athens, which is there where they came from. And then in Athens, the, the, the authorities were suspicious to why they came back. And they said, are you going back to the UK? They sent them back to the UK. Oh, good. And the bikes went to Athens. And they were there in limbo in Athens until just a few weeks ago when we managed to get them back by somebody else. So our bikes in the middle of nowhere, two men down, seven men, because their support driver had now taken the van back to uh, UK from Greece. That was the only mission. That was the only stretch he was going to do anyway. So now seven men. No bikes in a political sensitive country. Yes, we once again felt like fugitives and it was difficult to work out where we stood. And I said, it was, I was going to say, you've literally been through everything, even deportation. I, I'm, I'm telling you, honestly, you know, if, if it, honestly, and, and I always, people say to me, are you going to go again? And I say, nope, because the sequel is never as good as the first one. 
you all know it, right? So <laughs> you never know. You never know. <laughs> you never know. No, uh, but no. This this time, I mean, this 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 at uh, this point in the trip, we now have to then go from Alexandria to Cairo, get new bikes, i.e., from a higher center, and then meanwhile, obviously, hoping the other brothers would get themselves back safely, and then we had to continue on our way without those people with us. We had to continue all the way down from Cairo to the Red Sea, where we were hoping to catch, of course, our ferry, which wasn't meant to be. But we, again, we continued. We managed to get a few bikes from Cairo, uh, hired to us. They weren't the same as our normal bikes, but I think this is also a sign from the test from Allah Ta'ala that sometimes, you know, even if you feel you're well-equipped, and yes, the jet engine would have been a lovely idea, <laughs> but it wouldn't have been useful in Egypt. But in fact, subhanAllah, Allah Ta'ala teaches you that Allah Ta'ala helps you in his own unique way. And I'll tell you why. Because that jetpack topic, actually will come back in a very interesting way. I'll tell you how. We had a three-day stretch of traveling through Egypt. Every single day was 90 miles. There was no stoppage point in between. So 90 miles through the Egyptian desert each day. So you can imagine it was very difficult. Temperatures of 36 to 38 degrees, blasting hot temperatures. Yes, we had a support van with water, but even then, you know, still, you know, you still you can feel the burn of the day. On one day alone, I remember taking my water bottle out to drink the water in my bottle, only to find out it had become so hot due to the heat of the sun that the plastic of the bottle had infused into the water and I could taste the plastic. Oh my goodness. And I tried to I tried to pour the water over my arms and the water was like pouring out of a hot bath. So I had to pour the water onto the ground. So that's oh. how hot it is. So on that day, can you imagine, can you imagine on that day, um, uh, those three days of traveling, the last day I was ill. I wasn't even well enough. I got up and I thought, you know what? The day before I was ill, I didn't manage to travel because I was really ill. This day I thought, you know what? I'm traveling. I don't really care what. Again, by this moment, we were battle-weary, fatigued. I thought, you know what? I don't care. I've come to cycle. I'm just going to cycle. Got my kit on. And subhanAllah, a lot of it works in his amazing ways. This day was the longest route that I was probably going to do by far, which is 96 miles from Ras al-Gharib to Hurghada in uh, Egypt, uh, in the Red Sea coast. That's going through the desert area as well, isn't Yep, it? going to the desert area. Pretty much straight roads, but some of it hilly. So it wasn't easy either. And subhanAllah, our group leader said to us that we're going to have to go on this route you may get some powerful wind. And the wind normally actually happens to travel a northwesterly direction, which is actually going to go against us. So we would have been cycling through powerful, powerful wind. But subhanAllah, on that day, the wind changed to the totally opposite direction. And we were traveling, I kid you not, through that 96 miles journey through a sandstorm. Wow. I'd like to ask you, brothers here, how long do you think it took us to, to cycle? Early in the morning, 9 o'clock in the morning, how long do you think it took us to cycle those 96 miles? <laughs> no idea. It's like for a whole day for me. What, what, what time do you set off? 9 a.m.? 9 a.m., yeah, when it was getting hot already. So it was already getting hot in the day, uh, and we had to set off regardless. How long do you think it took, Brother Anis? What would you be your rough guess? I think you would have got there by 5 p.m. Hmm. Good estimate. We got there before 3 o'clock in the afternoon. Wow. Oh, man, that is fast. We covered the distance in four and a half hours. 96 miles. 96 miles, the first brothers to get there did in four and a half hours. Miracle of Allah Ta'ala. Who needs a jetpack when you've got a sandstorm? That sandstorm from anybody else who would have thought that sandstorm, these guys are going to be gone. That sandstorm, I'm not joking, my friend of mine has got some video footage of me cycling. I'm sitting on my bike. Obviously, I'm the heavier, so you can imagine that the wind must have had a really <laughs> difficult day with me. And yet, I'm moving at a steady pace. And you can see, my friend's got his sat-nav, and we're moving at 22 miles an hour just by sitting on our bikes. And then, the top speed is 33 miles an hour. 
and we got there in one piece absolutely fine alhamdulillah that's that's yeah that's amazing because sandstorms you know the uh, we we, get, we do get them here in dubai and i know how brutal they can be yeah <laughs> i felt it and i and i think we had a good shower that day to get half the dirt off us <laughs> subhanallah and we didn't have to cycle for a few days after that so that's when we rested for a few days and then we took the flight over to the saudi side and then from the saudi side once we got there we had a new set of bikes waiting for us there and the Saudi uh, Taiba cycling team were there to escort us into Medina. And the temperature there was 45 degrees, but it, it started to rain, subhanAllah. Oh, and then, wow. yeah, it rained. And, and, and uh, again, somebody actually made a dua as we left our cars to get onto the bikes. Somebody from the group actually said, I pray to Allah, it rains. In a minute or so, it started to rain. And the temperature dropped low enough for us to cycle into Saudi Arabia, in, into Medina, on the actual route of the Hijrah, the same route that the Prophet Sallallahu himself took. And as we went in, we went into a parade area and there was a big parade full of media taking videos of us, people throwing rose petals to welcome us in. And then some of the brothers were, of course, you can understand, they broke and burst into tears. It was so emotional for them. It's a very emotional video with you guys arriving, seeing the, some of the brothers break down. And they're also singing the, the traditional song when the Prophet arrived in Medina as well, weren't they? That's, that's right. I don't think he has been sung in that way for a good long time so for us to be there welcomed in that way was truly truly humbling i i i, I couldn't do anything i just sat there with a smile i had this big stupid grin on my face just because i couldn't believe what was happening i was just <laughs> grinning grinning and grinning from ear to ear and then that wasn't the final part of the journey we still had the last four or five miles to cycle into the masjid area so we did that stretch again with the police escort and protection all around us and as we did the last stretch we finally saw the road leading up to masjid and and at that moment all the fear, all the pain, all the stress, all the worry, all the ups and downs, all that tension, all those months of constant headaches and worries, all vanishing. As soon as you saw the mirrors of the Masjid and Nabawi, that's when we realized that this was epic. And subhanAllah, there's even a point of uh, the video, the official video, where the brother Abdul Wahid, who by now had joined us, brother Abdul Wahid and brother Shams, they, may, they were able to join us for the last rest of the journey from the UK. They flew in. They joined us by cycle. As we all cycled in, we got, we got captured on camera, us all cycling, and then there's me just saying our total, I don't know how I managed to speak, but I just said, the minarets of Muslim and Nabawi, brothers and sisters, we are here. And subhanAllah, from that moment on, obviously, the Hajj, the journey itself, all that effort that we put through in the cycle journey, the Hajj became easier because, you know, what's a two-hour walk when you've been cycling for days upon end? You know, everything in the Hajj was much easier, but still an amazing achievement. SubhanAllah, all I can say in a nutshell really is, the whole journey, basically, it did what it did. Above, mashallah, as you see, it really brought the whole ummah to, to together to watch us and be behind us. And I could feel it. I could sense when people in the airport were saying to us, a little kid from Dubai, by the way, from where you are, Brother Anis, right? A kid from Dubai in an American accent came up to us and said to us, are you the herd riders? And we looked at him and thought, yes, we are. And we weren't even dressed like herd riders. So we thought, how did you recognize us? And then he said, like, I saw you on TV. <laughs> you got a good accent. <laughs> I'll, I'll try. Um, we had a friend from Algeria. A friend from Algeria. He showed us screenshots of the news in Algeria with wow. images of us. Um, and I got messages from far away in the south, uh, in, in the west, is Panama. Uh, messages from the Caribbean, from Trinidad. Mashallah, the Muslim Ummah just went wild about it. And then we actually saw all the hits of the internet, and literally every single country you could think of, pretty much the most where Muslims were to be found, you'd find that they actually had some online hits regarding our videos and our journey. So mashallah, yeah, it, it did what it did, and alhamdulillah. We managed to perform our Hajj. If I want to put it in a nutshell, from, for nine people who had never done this journey before, many of whom had not been professional cyclists or cycling at all, to go through this journey, all nine of them, and get to the end destination 
and perform their Hajj and come back safely in one piece to tell the tale without any serious injury is a miracle of Allah Ta'ala and Allah Ta'ala has helped us with us from beginning to end. And I, my only regret is that I only wish I had been that stronger in the beginning and more faith in myself and in the whole journey. Because I feel to myself, maybe in the beginning, I thought, is it going to happen? Not going to happen? Remains to be seen. But obviously, once you've done it, obviously, I've seen it with my own eyes. And I can say and attest to the amazing feeling of the journey. And Jazakallah for allowing me to share that with you, brothers. Thanks for that. And I know we're short on time and you need, you need to go. And just real quickly before okay. you go, if our listeners want to find out more about you, where, where can they find out about yourself? We have our own uh, website, which looks a bit simple at the moment, which is hajride.com. That's H-A-J-J-R-I-D-E.com. Um, and also on, on the page, you'll find links to our other media forums, uh, outlets, for example, Twitter, Instagram, and uh, Facebook. Also on Facebook, same Hudride, uh, you'll type it in, you'll find everything about us there, all our videos, and even our latest feedback and programs where we continually are talking and showing videos about our events. And also, if you go to our YouTube channel and type in Hudride the, by the Human Aid UK's channel, uh, you'll find all our vlogs. We had 15 vlogs professionally done, mashallah, and you can see everything in there. You'll see a few laughs, a few tears, a few ups and downs. You'll see all of it. So yeah, please, please join us in the videos. And again, just to get the word out, we are continuing to take in donations. So anybody who wishes to donate or support with, at least with your duas, of course, the brothers and sisters around the world, especially in Rohingya and especially in Syria, please do by all means support them. They deserve our help. And what we have gone through in a HUD ride is nothing compared to the suffering they have every single day. They deserve more sympathy. Please do reach your heart out to them. Jazakumullah. Thank you so much. It's been a massive inspiration. Jazakumullah once again. But Islam alaikum Bye. Not over just yet, everyone. Of course, we've got to plug ourselves. We hope you enjoyed this episode and took away some gold nuggets of wisdom. Remember to leave us a five-star review on iTunes. If you wanted to give us any feedback, praise, or if you have any suggestions for guests, send us an email to info at onefootinthesink.com. You can also find us on Facebook, just search One Foot in the Sink, or Instagram at One Foot in the Sink, or Twitter at the number one foot in the sink. Make sure to subscribe to the podcast and look out for new episodes every other Monday or fortnightly, or bi-weekly, whatever you want to call it, let's go with two-weekly. That's me all done. See you guys soon.